Do summer projects your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. With free delivery on over 2 million items, you can make the most of summer grilling and dig into gardening. Plus, get same-day delivery on thousands of products like power tools and storage to tackle any last-minute garage project. Summer your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast at NBC Sports with the uh, Go West Young Man edition of Free Agency Talk with uh, Dan Feldman. Uh, Dan, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Well, Dan, I want to dive right into this. This was the thought exercise I was playing around with this morning. Your average NBA All-Star team has about seven, maybe eight, if you're really going to be generous, front court players. These are the front court players from the West you can pick from now. Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, his teammate DeMarcus Cousins, Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, who's usually listed as a forward, Paul Millsap, Paul George, Draymond Green, Blake Griffin, Rudy Gobert, Marc Gasol, Nikola Jokic, and I'm going to throw in, because it's his last year, Dirk Nowitzki, and we'd kind of like to see him there, but there's no way you can put him on the team now. That's 14 guys already in the West for front. You're going to have to cut half of them. It's just ridiculous how deep the West has gotten. <laughs> it is, and even if somehow we could cut through that list and get to seven, no easy task, that means like we're not having as many guards as we could have, and the West Western Conference obviously has plenty of star guards too yeah exactly so yeah and they're half of them are in houston so it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of been a wild i'm glad though i do like this dan i do like that teams didn't fear golden state and have kind of decided a few teams at least houston and in particular have decided to go right at them like we're gonna we're gonna get some players and we're gonna try to be good minnesota's kind of doing that but they're really still two years away i mean they're just they're a couple years away from really peaking Right, and we've discussed this on previous pods. Like, there's value in being the second best team in the league in case the Warriors stumble. Like, in other years, there's more value in being the second best team, but there's still value in that. Uh, and so now it's neck and neck, I'd say, between the, the Rockets. I guess we have to see what the Rockets are going to end up as and the Cavs. Like, the Cavs really had that on lockdown uh, in the past year or so. Uh, now it's a little more open who's the second best team in the league. Yeah, I Spurs think it, are right there too. Yeah, everybody keeps the Spurs didn't do anything. What have they done? Oh, they're just going to bring back a sixty-win team. They locked up Patty Mills. Um, they're really, you know, Dwayne Dedman will be a little better. They, they they will be fine. I don't I don't think Dwayne Dedman will be back. That's true. He's probably gone. Um, but I mean, they, look, they're the Spurs. They're going to come back and win, you know, roughly sixty games and be right there. And you know, if Kawhi Leonard's not hurt, how far do they take Golden State? I mean, I I'm still not convinced they beat them, but it's a much more interesting series. But even as you start to do that, you look at the Western Conference. The Warriors are obviously Tier 1. Rockets and Spurs, in whatever order you want to put them, are Tier 2. Those three teams are in. I think Oklahoma City's in. I'll say Utah's in, obviously, if they retain Gordon Hayward. As of this recording, we don't know where he's going to land yet. So there's going to be either three or four spots at the bottom of the Western Conference. And again, you've got Minnesota, who's improved and should be in. Denver, who with Millsap should be, I mean, they were just out last year and they're improved, they should be in. Memphis is still good. Portland was in at the 8th seed last year. The Clippers are going to fall back, but they're still, I think, about a 500 team and in that mix. New Orleans has to be considered. We'll see how that comes together. They've paid to keep Drew Holiday, which they kind of, they had to overpay to do, but they also had to do, as we've discussed before. That Again, there's 
two, at least two, maybe three of those teams don't make the playoffs. The West is back to being a ridiculously deep conference. Yes, yes. I mean, it, it just is. These teams are are so good. I, you know, and you look at like the Clippers, who've really been, been one of the premier teams in the West. Like, I am less confidence in them than I think most people do. I'm just really not sold on, on where they are now or where they're going. But they're still going to be okay. Like, they're not going to be a bad team. They're too good to bottom out. Uh, and so I don't know how they're going to round out the rest of their roster, but they're clearly still committed to winning this season. Uh, and that's going to inform their moves from here. So we don't have a complete picture of what they are. Uh, they'll probably be stronger in a couple weeks than they are right now, whatever they do with Gallinari or whatever else they're looking at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's still pieces moving for them out there, but I, I picture them starting to run the offense more through Blake Griffin, who is a better passer and playmaker than people realize. He was, he was averaging five assists a game last year, and he had Chris Paul on the team. Like, he can move the ball. You can use him more in a Jokic kind of way, run the offense through him. Hey, Lou Williams can shoot. Patrick Beverly can shoot. I like getting Decker and Harrell in that deal. Like, like I think they, they did. Honestly, didn't they do about as well as you're going to hope it for in a shotgun trade like that, where you, you, you don't you don't really have a choice. You've got to make the deal. That they didn't. They couldn't have done a whole lot better considering the circumstances. Right. I was just going to say no. They didn't do about as well as I'd hope. They did way better than I'd ever hope. Uh, with Chris <laughs> Paul, like clearly out the door, it's a great return. Arguably, it was a better return. Not even like considering the situation, but just arguably, it's just a better return period than the Pacers got for Paul George. And maybe I guess it's probably not better than than the Bulls got for Jimmy Butler. Uh, but given the circumstances, way better. But just overall, it might be a better return than the Pacers got for Paul George. Yeah, exactly. So I think they, they, they've set themselves up about as well as you'd hope. But I, again, I think they're an okay team, and we'll talk about them more down the line. Do you like what Houston did? Do you like where they're going? I, I like it in this sense. They've certainly added a lot of talent, but I think we're all like, I, I'm curious how it's going to fit together. Right. Like, I, I'm not sold it's going to work, but I'm sold it's a great plan. As, like, if you can get Chris Paul and keep James Harden and try this plan, it is absolutely worth trying. Yeah. doesn't mean it's going to work because there is so much overlap in their games. They're so both so used to being the lead ball handler. Uh, and especially Chris Paul, I don't know how he gives that up. And uh, he could still play well, but just the mentality of it, everything that goes with it, I don't know that it works, but I love the experiment. Exactly. The other part of that is, if my, how does this all fit with Mike D'Antoni, who is, look, obviously we know what how D'Antoni wants to play, and we know that James Harden fits really well with the up-tempo pushing the ball. Chris Paul will push the ball in transition, and look, he's a great core, you know, he has great vision, but given, look, he is the, nobody walks the dog up the ball court more than him, like, you, where you roll the ball in, and you don't touch uh-huh. it as long as you can. Nobody does that more than Chris Paul in a game. Like, at least four times a game, he sees how far he can get the ball up the court that way. And not it's not like he's saving... I mean, yeah, he tries it at the end of games when they're trying to save time, but he'll do it in the middle of the second quarter for no particular reason. Like, he just does it all the time. And then he brings it up, surveys the situation, calls for the pick he wants, comes off that pick, and then usually, look, he dissects people. He is the best floor general in the game. He is probably the highest... He or LeBron are the highest IQ players in the game on the court. He's a coach out there, but it's a deliberate thing. It is not D'Antoni pace. And I'm curious just about how it all fits together. You you can obviously stagger them, but you're going to have to play them together a lot. Right. So I guess I guess the argument would be that when Chris Paul does that, when he rolls the ball up court, it's really to take advantage of something that's the same thing D'Antoni's trying to take advantage of to a degree. Now, D'Antoni's all still trying to get a quick shot. 
Like that's part of his philosophy that a lot of quick shots are better than when teams wait. And Chris Paul's not doing that. But a benefit of the D'Antoni style is that you're going so quick, if your initial thing doesn't work, you still have plenty of time on the shot clock to try a second action, a third action, a fourth action sometimes. Like, there, there's time for that because you're getting into your offense so quickly. So when Chris, Ball is rolling, Chris Paul's rolling the ball up the court, he's get, leaving more time on the shot clock for his team to go through their half-court sets. Uh, so I do think there's a lot of overlap there in philosophy. Uh, and I think Chris Paul can adjust to it. I mean, he Chris Paul's played on fast teams. He's played on slow teams. He's made it work. Yeah. Yeah, again, he's a high IQ player, and I'm with you. This is something – but now what they need – look, I think Clint Capella at the five is going to get look good. I think they've got nice pieces. And I think, by the way, Chris Paul helps defensively too. Chris Paul is a, a better defender than Harden. Um, and, and is like a, a, a borderline all-defensive team kind of, of player. He, he's, he's, he's good on that end. So um, – I think that he helps in a couple of ways. I Like you, I like this. I'm curious how it all fits together. But they're also one of those teams, don't you think, who, like, they're going to work out some growing pains in November and December. But get to the All-Star break, they might have figured some stuff out and, and be a much better team. So, Wait, the, the more I've thought about the defensive fit, the more I've liked it. Uh, because Chris Paul, I'm not sure he's the most versatile defender, which is, you know, something. But he, he's very good defending other point guards. Uh, where I feel like that might be James Harden's biggest weakness. Harden has nice core strength. Let him, not every team has a player like this, but if there's a wing or or a guard that's not too overwhelming for him physically, like he can be a good post defender, but like if it's an interior-based wing, let him stick on that guy. Instead of trying to navigate through pick and rolls and things like that, guarding a point guard, things Chris Paul can do, uh, now you're going to be playing to James Harden's very narrow, very limited defensive strengths a little bit more. Or maybe I shouldn't even call them strengths. Uh, less weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, the less bad parts of his defensive game. So it's interesting. Um, also, by the way, I assume you and I are on the same page here. I like what Minnesota's done. I Yes, they've ramped up the timeline. Um, and I don't know how fast you really want to ramp up the timeline. But they've ramped it up. But if you can get Jimmy Butler... You go get, especially for what they gave up, you go get Jimmy Butler. You're talking about a top 15 NBA player. Right. And and it does make sense, the timeline, in, in the sense that, look at Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins. Uh, those guys are going to be do big raises soon. So it's kind of almost this use it or lose it money. You just might as well use it and try and be better right now. And uh, then as players like Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson are aging, you have the other players on their bigger contracts. You can adjust that next year. You're not... You're not really cashing in, at least uh, for those signings, on assets or, or flexibility that you could have down the road. Uh, of course, the Butler trade did a little. They traded some younger players. But Butler's just so much better than those guys. It was definitely worth it. How do you feel about the Taj, the, the, the Gibson signing? Like, I like it, but I'd still rather have seen them try to get some shooting in that spot. Because, I mean, Gorgie Jane can't shoot. I don't even know if they're going to keep him long term. They just... I, I want a little more spacing there, and Towns is actually capable of stepping out. Maybe we'll see more of that from him this year, but I don't necessarily want him stepping out. Like I would rather have him close to the basket um, and, and use that pop-out less often. So I, I would rather have a four. That said, like Gibson's going to be rock solid. Like I'm not worried about what he brings to the table, and he's good in the locker room. Like I don't know a team that hasn't where the teammates haven't loved him. Yeah, so I... I agree with you that I would have rather seen them go after a shooter. 
I think Paul. I don't think they could have gotten Paul Millsap, uh, but he would have been phenomenal. Maybe even Gallinari, uh, and hope Tibbs can coach up his defense. Like this was very much a comfort move for Tibbs, and uh, I do have a little bit concerned uh, concerned about Taj Gibson being solid. He's he dropped off a little bit last year. Uh, you know, not that he was bad or anything. But there is starting to see some signs of slippage. He's at that age. Uh, he came to the league fairly old after playing at USC. So he, he's not young. I, I do have a little concern that he could drop off. Uh, but I think it was overall a fine signing. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. And again, I, I don't, with a young team, like solid veterans in the locker room don't bother me. And we'll get to, actually, you know, we'll, I'll use that as my transition really quick. It's why I'm good with what Philadelphia did. I have been asked now in like every radio show and every, even friends like, JJ, because I'm out here in LA. JJ Redick, twenty three million. I'm like, yeah, okay, you're over, just overpaid for JJ Redick on a one year contract. I'm not sure they're a bad one year contract because he's just off the books in a year, so it, it doesn't hurt you. And him and Amir Johnson, you're bringing into the locker room. I mean, I don't think people realize. Remember JJ Redick coming out of Duke? Offense ran through him. Big star could have gone kind of. I expect to be that in in the pros kind of guy. Didn't realize what he had to do. Worked hard to physically get in much better shape, reshaped his body, and reshaped his game so he could be this this role player. Got much better on defense. He's not a great defender, but he's he's a good team defender now. But he can run anybody to into the ground off screens, all of vintage Ray Allen. Knocks down forty percent of his threes. You bring that kind of work ethic and that kind of into the locker room, and Amir Johnson, frankly, brings the same kind of thing as a big and gives them twenty minutes a night. And you say, hey, young guys. That's how you be a professional. I think in a, for a one-year deal, I love that. So I'll, I'll go a step beyond. All of that is true, but I'll go one step further. It doesn't even matter that he's like this, this great example of professionalism, all those things. How else are they going to spend that money in a way that has no long-term negative effects where, where you get somebody who could make the difference between making the playoffs or not? Like yeah. they have this very nice young core. I don't know how ready these players are going to be, but they could be. And you have this whole shooting guard. Like, they just don't have anybody ready there to step in. Now you have J.J. Redick, who's going to be very good and is a good fit for, for what they're doing. Like, he's just going to make the team better just for the on-court. He's worth that cost to them because they had so much cap space. They had no other way to spend it. Uh, and they get a really good player for next year without having to deal with him aging and declining. Yeah, there wasn't an obvious, because two-guard is a spot they wanted to fill. And there wasn't an obvious two-guard restricted free agent you were going to target. Right? There wasn't, you know, there's some interesting restricted free agents out there. Uh, Jamichael Green, I think, is the big one now. Whether, I mean, is Atlanta willing to spend the money to take him away? Because if you spend more than about 14, I don't know if 14 million on Jamichael Green, I don't know if Atlanta can match. Um, Or, I mean, Memphis can match. Memphis. My my bad. If Atlanta or whomever, but I think Atlanta seems to be the team everybody's talking about and buzzing about. Mm -hmm. If Atlanta spends 14 million, Memphis has about twenty million, just under twenty million in cap space less. They can't spend that much on one guy, and they—I don't know if they can match. And that's a pretty good deal if you're Atlanta. You get a, a, a nice young four, but there really isn't one of those guys at the two. So why not just, like you said, spend it on JJ? And maybe if look, I think that in an East that's taken a step back when you talk about where Indiana is going to be, where Atlanta is going to be, where you know the teams have kind of come back a little, Chicago. They can step into the playoffs if, again, everybody go knock on wood that that you know, Embiid and and Simmons and, and everybody are actually healthy and can play sixty you know seventy games or so. They're a playoff team. Yeah, so I guess there's one shooting guard out there 
uh, at the time, who I didn't think was available, but now I don't know. I'm just throwing up my arms. I don't know. Uh, which is Contavious Caldwell Pope. Yeah. It really seemed the Pistons would match any offer, but now they went and signed Langston Galloway and hard capped themselves. So maybe they have a way to get off some of their salary. They might have something up their sleeve. Maybe they're saying, like, we're not willing to pay KCP. You know, I just don't know what that is. And uh, if the 76ers had waited, maybe they'd test Detroit on that and sign KCP to an offer sheet. But I still think most likely is the Pistons are going to get off other salary and still keep KCP. Yeah, okay, but I guess this comes up to the other question. if Who is going to make that offer? I mean, the worry was somebody's going to come in and max offer KCP, and you're going to have to unload 7 to $10 million in salary to, to match. Who's going to make that offer now? Because Philly's kind of filled up. I don't see Brooklyn doing it. Uh, who Sacramento? I don't know. Like, I don't quite sure what they're doing, but they don't seem targeting. That. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who makes that offer. Because uh, Sacramento's now, oh, no, oh. they were going to make an offer to somebody else, and suddenly I went blank on it off the top of my head. Auto um, uh, Auto Porter. Otto Porter. Thank you. Um, if they're going to go after Porter, I don't know who steps up with that kind of cash. And maybe maybe Detroit gets maybe Detroit's kind of puffing out its chest. We're going to match anything is is good enough to save them a few bucks. Except for, if you remember, KCP's agent is Rich Paul. Yes. And if Rich point. Paul knows one strategy, he doesn't even need to go out and get other offers. He is going to just go to the team and say, this is what you're going to pay him, and we're going to wait. Yep. Uh, or we'll sign the, and we'll sign the qualifying offer. We'll, we'll play it out and be unrestricted. We're, we're free well, he, he hasn't had to do it because teams have caved. Yes, like, exactly. He threatens it. I mean, he, he let the qualifying offer expire for Tristan Thompson, which I thought was just insane. Like, way too risky, just incredibly crazy. Uh, and he made it work anyway. And I understand it's a little different when you're LeBron's agent negotiating with the Cavs, but he also got Eric Bledsoe a nice deal in the long run, too. Yeah, he did the same thing. Not exactly the same thing, but exactly. Those, he's not afraid to drag a, a negotiation out into the fall. And they have, technically, this whole thing can drag out till October 31st before the, the deadline hits and everybody's actually got to make a decision. So. But, but Rich Paul will take it later. He's not afraid to take it even later. Yeah, exactly. So this is going to. I think that's going to be interesting to see what. It, and I think they expect Max. Wouldn't if you were Rich Paul? Weren't you expecting Max for KCP? Or pretty close to it, at least. <laughs> close, close to it. I mean, I think you can probably get him for a little less. But yeah, if you're Rich Paul, you got to be thinking Max for now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we'll move on. Uh, Denver. I, he signs Paul Millsap. I love this as a, as a fit. I mean, this is such an upgrade. This has got to mean they're letting go of Gallinari, obviously, who's going to end up, you know, we've heard all sorts of, you know, buzz about teams interested. The Clippers were interested, but that's going to require a three-team deal. Good luck with that. Uh, I mean, it can't happen, but it's it's not likely. They don't have assets to give up to sweeten the deal there. So um, I, I'm curious where he lands, but I, I Denver's moving on, but they get an upgrade. And by the way, they get an upgrade defensively. Like uh, that's I, on a team that was just bad defensively last year. You now get a borderline All NBA defensive forward to go in your um, in your in your back court uh, or front court, I should say. That's a huge plus. I I know you can't see just how strongly I was nodding my head in agreement. <laughs> I love Nikola Jokic. He's so uh, such an underrated player. So skilled. What he does as a passing center is just. So tough for teams to deal with. He, he rebounds, but he's not that athletic. He's limited defensively, and it makes it such a tricky fit around him. There aren't that many power forwards who can step in and, and play on both ends with him. Millsap is one of them. 
Like, if you get him, you do it. And to be able to do it without committing beyond the next two seasons. That was, yeah. uh, To have that team option on the third year is just huge. Uh, but I wouldn't, you know, even if it cost them the third year, even if they didn't have the team option, I probably would have liked this deal just because of how big the immediate upgrade is. Uh, Millsap's ability to block shots and, and defend on ball, off ball, like, such a great fit next to Jokic. Yeah, and by the way, everything that would move that, makes that signing an A for me, makes it an A-plus when you talk about <laughs> that, that third year. That that team option on the third year, when they're going to have to pay Jokic, and, and you know Murray's going to be coming up and, and whatever else, they've got choices now, and Millsap might be good with that. Millsap will only be 33. His game should age relatively well because it's really not based on some explosive athleticism. He, he, he can get paid again at that point if, if they want to move on. It's it's a great deal for Denver though. I, it's it's almost the Jedi mind trick of how did you get him to take that deal? Um, I, well, they're they're paying him a lot of money for the next two years, they are uh, which other teams weren't necessarily positioned to offer. But this is the benefit of building well with young players. That's why Denver had all this money is because they've signed smart contracts to get here first. Exactly, it's it puts them in a really good position. Like I said, I. Look, I see them moving up into the playoffs next year if, if they if if things go on. I mean, they barely missed last year. Um, but, again, back to that whole back of the West, you know, like, well, they should be better than Portland, except Nurkic fit really well in Portland, and Portland should actually be a little better than they were last year, too. So uh, having him for a full season in the paint, it's going to be a – sh- Portland should defend slightly better. Um, in the East, Toronto brings the band back together, and I'm – I don't blame them. This is, look, the best run of Toronto Raptors basketball in their history. I know when we've discussed, I know this, and plus I've discussed it on this podcast with uh, Ryan Wolstadt from the Toronto, from Toronto Sun, about ownership there is like, man, we're making money. This is the, like, this is the not only the best basketball, but with that has come sponsorships and sold out buildings and everything that comes with a, a fan base that's happy. They're like, you know what? Run it back. We'll pay a small tax. We're going to pay a reasonable tax to do that. We're okay. Let's let's just the ownership's like, hey, we keep making money, and everybody else is like, well, how are they going to contend? How are they going to get past Cleveland? And I'm back to with you. If you're the second or third best team, that's not the worst place to be right now because Cleveland. I can see Cleveland crumbling. I'm not convinced that happens, but like I can see it. Yeah, Le- LeBron going into a walk here in Cleveland. I mean, remember what happened last time? Like. Yeah, how that weighed on him. Now I think he's a more matured player uh, and can handle it better. And uh, but this is an aging team. Uh, in the same way, look, they made it all the way to the finals, but his last team with the Heat just ran out of gas at the end. Uh, and this is similarly an aging team because, in you know, in part because of how they built their roster, in part because LeBron insists on having guys like James Jones taking up roster spots. Like this is an old team. And they could run out of gas in a hurry. As far as the Raptors, I definitely agree. And the other element of it is, what else are they supposed to do? Like, they've already gone too far down the road of trying to win now. You have DeMar DeRozan locked up long-term. You have Damari Carroll uh, on a big long-term contract. You have Jonas Valanciunas on a big long-term contract. Like, there was no way to pivot into rebuilding or a new direction. Uh, And so, whether or not you see value in being the second-best team in the East next to the Cavs. Like, unless you really, really hate that idea, there's not much else you could do at that point. No. 
By the way, I think that they would love to move the Damari Carroll contract, but sure. the 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 cost, <laughs> the sweeteners. Look, I don't, I don't, I don't even know that their first round picks are good enough. Like the late first rounders are, would be enough. Like you, you're going to have to give up more. By the way, I heard murmurs that they they wouldn't mind moving Valanciunas too, but again, uh, you'd have to find the right team. Just he's got some value, but he's expensive, and it would not be simple just moving him. So. Worst case scenario, they like you said, they run this back and they're good, and maybe some things break their way. The other thing is, I think that this kind of transitions into they got Kyle Lowry for three more, three more years. Lowry would have preferred five, but we saw this, and I think this ties into the Paul Millsap two plus one deal. This isn't 2016 anymore, man. <laughs> this is a really much tighter market. Everybody lo- spent last summer like like drunken sailors. And now they're coming in like, all right, we got to be smarter about this. And there just isn't the money for guys who thought they were going to. I think there's a lot of free agents this year who are very disappointed, who got, who saw what guys got last year and thought, man, here we go. Then that cap kept coming back and back, and it's you know 99 million now, and everybody's a little more sober, and they're just like, nope, we're not spending like that. And it's it's been harder to get those kind of deals. Yeah, and wait till wait till players see what they're going to get next year, uh, yeah. and they'll be even more dismayed. It's such a fascinating thing to look back on the cap smoothing idea, and I think I think the union generally did it right, at least overall, for how much money they're going to make and how it's going to affect everything to reject the smoothing proposal. But there are a lot of the union's members who are going to lose out, guys who were under contract last summer, uh, even to a degree this summer, like who just aren't going to get the same windfall just because of when they happen to be coming up in free agency. Like, just coincidentally, like, there are going to be some guys who are just locked in in the wrong years, uh, and they're going to suffer. And I don't know if there's enough of them where the union made a mistake and not looking out for its members enough by quant- like number of members or whether you're looking out for, well, what if we overall do better? Like, it's really tough to judge and figure out how to do that. Uh, but I think this is the these are the type of things that can breed resentment, right? Like, you know, in a locker room, yeah. there's status with your salary. It's not just making this yeah. money and the things you can buy with it. If you're your team's highest paid player, there's a status with that. If you some players are paid more or less than you, there's a status with that. Some guys care about it more than others. Uh, but it is a real thing players care about. It, it is. It absolutely is a thing guys care about. And it is a, it is a status thing as much as, like, like you said, like where you're living or how much. It's... It get you know getting paid is a a badge a, a, you know, and it's not secret it's not like most of your offices where you're like I wonder how much they're paying that guy over here everybody knows everybody knows what everybody's making and and it it can be a little disconcerting at times um, in locker rooms because of that you're right it's it's going to be yeah next year is going to be really tight and it makes by the way the couple of teams you know Philly handled this really well getting one year contract so they're going to have a bunch of money next year. Um, the Lakers are potentially, you know, they're going to have to move. They want to move Clarkson and Randall, but they could have two max cap space, t- you know, spots next year, give or take, or probably two. Or um, in a tight market, that becomes even more valuable. Like you're now the team, you're now the team that can take in two guys. That's a. We'll see what they do with it. We'll see if it's still there, but that has potential as real value if you're the team with. If you're the team with supply in a or with in a year with with nobody else has it, you look really good. Yes, yes. I mean, teams teams knew this was coming. Maybe not to this degree. Like the Bulls have been on and off on this plan of of saving cap space for 2018. 
Like, there are different levels of it. Uh, so so some teams knew this was coming and, and focused on it because, like you said, uh, especially if you're a small or medium market, when everybody has cap space, it doesn't do much for you. Like, players are going to go uh, to the better, more appealing teams. But even if you're a bad team in a small market, if you're one of the only few teams with cap space, all of a sudden that once again will get you somewhere. Yeah. All right, were there any sneaky smart deals you've seen come through? You're like, I really like that one. I thought that was a – I liked that one. It kind of flew under the radar a little. I imagine Jose Calderon signing for sure. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I feel like – well, I'll give you one. And it's weird that I think it's a little sneaky how good this deal is because people are just like talking about like the big picture of it. But I think it was sneaky good. And that's Steph Curry. The yeah. fact that they didn't have to give him a, a player option – could be very big in four years like to have him locked up one extra year like that could be very important very big it might not matter like it depends where the cap goes where he goes uh, but for the Warriors to get Steph Curry without a player option with seemingly without any leverage to convince him not to take a player option uh, that was huge yeah and Golden State has some guys they've got to still talk about bringing back they still got free agents but they've re-signed obviously uh, Andre Iguodala handled that beautifully went and got some offers came back and said you're gonna have you want to keep me I, I'll walk. Like he, he, he called their bluff and uh, got a little more money. David Good West, for just, him. yeah, exactly. David West wanted to come back. They, they signed Livingston to a, a, I don't know. I'll call it a fair deal. I think it's reasonable. Um, mm-hmm. Throw some credit to Joe Lacob and Peter Goober of uh, their ownership group for hey saying you know what we're going to eat the tax for a couple of years. Like they're making money hand over fist with this team. They're about to go to a new well, building that will up it. But I like owners that are at least willing to step up and pay it for now. So they're going to pay it. They're clearly going to pay it next year. Uh, and maybe, like, I'm kind of in the wait and see on future years. Like, let's see what they do in the years ahead before we give them credit for multi-years of, of this big spending. Yeah, I agree. But remember, they're making money now. They're profitable now. And then we're taking the whole franchise valuation thing out of the out of the fact, you know, the fact that the thing right. is worth four or five times what they paid for it. Just the, it, the income that's coming in is good. And they're about to new, move to a new building where that's going to go up. And yes, they have to share some of that with with part of the NBA's you know um, basketball related income. It goes out. But that said, you make more of what you keep in your own building now, and that's why teams keep wanting to build new buildings. Because Sacra- I'll tell you right now, Sacramento, the Kings are making money hand over fist. Like they, that new building is so good for them, and and you can debate whether yeah, but- <laughs> whether whether they're good at anything else. But the new building worked for them, man. Like you, you well, sure. It, of course, it does because because taxpayers paid for it. Yeah. When, or let's kick more when it when it's what the Warriors are doing. They're, that's because they're running sound business. Yeah, exactly. So, it. That said, um, I I do I will give them the nod for at least agreeing to like, hey, we'll do it. All right, let's go. Let's keep the band together and let's do this because, as as we've discussed, we're fascinated with Denver and we're fascinated with Minnesota and what could. Oklahoma City is going to be, we are going to be talking about them a ton on podcasts this coming year. And at the end of the day, if Golden State's healthy, (laughs) we know how this movie ends. I don't see how anybody beats them. I mean, maybe some things change, but I don't see how anybody beats them if everybody's healthy on that team. If if they're playing like they were in the finals last year, I I don't see anybody, even with the moves left to be made, if Gordon Hayward goes to Boston, I don't think it changes that dynamic. Like, it could change the Cleveland-Boston dynamic. We could be, you know, 
we could be going to Boston for the finals instead of Cleveland, but I don't think it changes the beating Golden State thing. So it, it, it's going to be an interesting season, but that Golden State, I think you're right. I think quietly, sneakily, they've done this. They've kind of just said, oh, we're bringing everybody back. We'll, we'll be really, 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 really good. And everybody's kind of like, and everybody's kind of like, yeah, let's look at the fun new, let's look at all the fun new toys. But at the end of the day, they, that's, that's still the team to beat by a mile. They're, they're still their own tier in the NBA. And that's how it should work. They drafted well, they made savvy moves, and they're paying the bill when it's come to. Like, I don't, I'm projecting out future seasons, but there's a significant cost to keeping this team together, and they're willing to pay it. Like, teams that are willing to pay more should be rewarded for that. Exactly. And I think that you talk to most owners, and I don't know if they do it, but most owners, most ownership groups say the same thing, which is, I don't, look, should Memphis pay the tax? No. Like, they should not. There's a reason that they have 19 million below the 20 million below the tax, and they're going to stay below that. They should not be paying the tax for that team right now, even if it means the end of grit and grind. Even if uh, Tony Allen is almost certainly gone, and I doubt they're going to be able to keep Zach um, Randolph, which is kind of weird. I'll be kind of weird to see him in another Sad. uniform again. Yeah, but I get it. Yeah, I don't want to pay the tax if I'm if I'm them. But if you're Cleveland, if you're Golden State, frankly, if you're Houston at this point, yeah, you should be ponying up. You know, if, if you're if you're on that echelon, you should be ponying up. It's 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 the mismanaged teams that that, are, that, that we'll make fun of in a future podcast. I think. <laughs> I mean, there, there are obviously other levels, but it's interesting how we're praising the Raptors for keeping this this team together for paying the tax. That that's a pretty good team that's had some uh, at least one nice playoff run overall. Uh, but not really to you take seriously as this threat to make the finals. Uh, and then the Grizzlies, where they had a similar run uh, yeah. and did a, have are kind of at the closing end. It's like, oh, okay, like you've done enough. Uh, you're relieved. Don't don't go anywhere near the tax. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Dan, I'm sure we'll have, we'll be doing a few of these more. And of course, uh, I and uh, and Dane Carbaugh from NBC will both be in Las Vegas for summer league. We'll do some stuff from there. Uh, thanks for doing this. Dan can be found at, uh, what's your Twitter handle one more time just for everybody? Dan Feldman NBA. And I'm at Basketball Talk, of course. You can find this podcast on iTunes. Go there, subscribe, comment, tell us how awesome we are, or not awesome, either way. Um, and, of course, NBCSports.com, you can find the podcast as well. We will be back soon with more Pro Basketball Talk podcast. With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can give your lawn or garden beds a pop of color and protection. Right now, get a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10. Help your soil retain moisture longer with color that lasts up to 12 months. Shop Memorial Day savings for a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done.